Abed and all hope listeners, you're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hi, folks. Old man Grognard here. Happy Saturday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm doing well. You're doing usually my, my usual prep stuff and all that for Monday, plus the, you know, I've talked about this before on the other shows. And I was thinking about what makes up your SOP, your standard operating procedure as game master, whether you're prepping or running the game. In fact, if you come up with your SOPs, sometimes they can make prepping the game even easier. I've analyzed mine today and wondering where they came from. I know they came from some games because I really... And some of them I've given a little thought to. You maybe I thought, well, this makes sense. Let's do it this way. I, I talk about this because I recently cracked open again my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, which I know is based on first edition AD&D. Said I know first edition AD&D, so I just assumed and did the same things I usually do in first edition AD&D. And then I looked at the initiative order and the way they do it. And it's a throwback to, like, one whole side moves first, combat, magic, whatever, that kind of thing, movement, combat, magic. and then side two moves. And I've seen that before. I played in that before. And I find it a little, little restricting. It's just a bit too regimented for my taste. Because I usually roll the die and then we go in initiative order. What happens, happens. And I know it's okay. You just—it's a whole what goes what goes first in what. And I've seen variations on this where you all roll initiative, and then you have the stages. Okay, magic phase. Who's got magic? Who's going to throw spells? Okay, combat phase. Who's going to throw movement? I never like that. I never like that because it's just—it's harder for the players to, if they want to, actually think up a plan and execute it, I find it easier to go by initiative order. And I I just find it easier that way because then somebody can say, okay, uh, you're X initiative, I'm Y initiative, you go before me. So why don't you hold until I go or after I go and we will go both go together. And I will allow that as a, as a dungeon master, as a game master. Just because I think it, it, it's this is I'm tr- this is what I'm trying to encourage in the game is thinking out of the box, thinking tactically, and how to defeat this thing. And I like that it's more freewheeling, you might say. Also, the die you use for initiative. Now I know in fifth edition they have an all-in-one now because every battle you roll for initiative and you keep that initiative through the entire battle. Well, I don't do that. I do the old roll for initiative every round, which I find is more fun. And what I use is a D10. Some people use a D6. I mean, the earlier games, they could use a D6 and get away with it. I'd rather use a D10. That way, if I want to split up initiative in the, in the, uh, in the, my, my, my guys, say I got six, six orcs and an ogre, I can roll separate for the ogre or the orcs. Or if I got an NPC who's helping the party, 
I could roll separate for him. Usually I roll every, when I, when it comes to be my turn, everybody, all my, my whole side goes, but there, there are certain situations where you want a separate initiative for a certain character. So D10 is a lot handier than D6. And I just go, I just go 10 to one, or I'm sorry, one to 10, you know, okay, one, two, three, because like I said, in fifth edition, they do permanent initiative through the entire encounter, but they also, also your, 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 how shall I say this? The DM finds out the initiative of everybody at the beginning of the encounter and then makes a list and goes through it. That's handy, yes, unless you don't want to make the list, unless you think it's a little bit, a bit too cumbersome or just lazy like I am. So I just roll for initiative and go, okay, let's go. One, two, three, four, that kind of thing. It's just, you know, make the players work a little. Why not? Let's see, what else? Oh, I believe in max hit points at first level. Sure, why not? Ain't going to affect it. I could always ramp up or ramp down the monsters as I see fit. That's what a guy does when he's a game master or a gal. And uh, which leads me to the next subject, which is adversarial game mastering. I don't like doing it. Adversarial game mastering and the exceptions to that rule. I am not out to get the players. The world is out to get the players, just like in real life. They have to overcome obstacles. I'm the obstacles. Unfortunately, yeah. And i got to be neutral. And for the most part, I'm neutral. But it doesn't affect me playing the bad guys. See, here's the way I look at it. The game master is the world, which is neutral. But there are some. There are a lot of not neutral things in the world, which you also have to portray, a.k.a. the bad guys. So... In order to play the bad guys smart or dumb or however they are, you have to you have to do a little adjusting. I akin it to you're running an encounter and the players are acting. The bad guys have to react to them. But when it comes to be your turn with the bad guys, you basically got to... Uh, it's like I'm an omnipotent being looking over the whole battle. At that point, if I'm playing the bad guys, I got to go down, take these binoculars, this, this scope, and look down and see it from the bad guys' perspective. See what they are doing, what they can do to stop these guys. Because they are going to stop these guys. They are going to prevent present a challenge. And that way you can start thinking tactically. What would they do if they were attacked like this? What can they do to get the jump on everybody? What can they do? That kind of thing. And it really helps your planning. To me, it's not much of a brain shift. Because if I know what I've got on the field, and if I've got something exceptional. Example, my last game, they were fighting eight men. And these eight men had a shaman. And they were about 150 yards out on a ship coming aboard. The eight men were coming aboard in canoes, dug out canoes. And there, the first thing our, our magician did is sleep practically all of them. And then the, the others jumped on the canoes and started throwing them overboard. Well, one of, our, one of the characters who was on the ship, 
they have this ray gun that they got from the same adventure they got the airship the and so that he had a, a ray gun an artifact and he was going to shoot at the guys and i think he got one shot of or something and then it came my turn so i put on my i put on my uh adversary goggles and say okay these guys are seeing this guy with this big old gun what's the shaman gonna do the shaman is going to throw a spell which he did he threw a whole person on him now that didn't last very long he was held for like three rounds but that didn't last very long because the the pc's magician came over and dispelled it so the guy with the ray gun, who do you think he's, who do you think the first guy is going to get shot? The shaman. But that's the way of playing tactically. The shaman went over. Oh, this guy is shooting some, some, some kind of magic, some kind of alien magic. I got to stop that. Boom, whole person. And if they had not, if he had the magician not got him out of that, he was going to try and direct the eight men to all hit on him, to take him out because he seemed to be the biggest threat. So that's how that kind of thing works. You gotta, you gotta be a game master, but if you're gonna be play, it's it's, it's how do I say this? It's hard. It's not hard, but I mean, you must remain arbitrary, except when you aren't. And what I mean, aren't is when you're portraying something, somebody that isn't. At that point, you're playing a character, and the character will go and do what character gonna do. But at the same time, you, you have to figure out what the PCs are going to do or you find out what they're going to do and have the character react appropriately. And it's that back and forth that makes the game. So I can still consider a game master for the most part the world and a neutral observer. It's just you don't have like an assistant game master to play all the, par play all the NPCs or anything like that. you got to do the whole thing. So, so it's kind of a balancing act. Let me put it that way. But don't let it discourage you from trying to run your own game. Okay, I'm going to go start my day. So if you guys want to talk about anything or anything like this or anything else, oldmangrognargmail.com, drop me an email or drop me a voicemail at Anchor. We are subsidized. We are we are supported. We we have some, some supporters. So as little as 99 cents a month, you can support this program. And I thank you. And thank you, Jonathan and Oliver, again, for the help. I really appreciate it. So, until I see you next time, keep the dice warm, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Questions? Comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air. Mm-hmm.